Welcome to The Workplace, a podcast by Cal Chamber. I'm Erica Frank, Cal Chamber's General Counsel and Executive Vice President. And back on the podcast today is one of our favorite guests, Jennifer Shaw. Welcome, Jen. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Erica. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You know, Jennifer, today I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, you're a well-respected employment law counsel in Northern California, and I know that you are contacted by employers daily, um, literally daily, hourly, by the minute, with all sorts of very complex questions all surrounding the workplace, compliance, Um, particularly since we hit the pandemic with all of the moving orders, guidelines, rules. And I can only imagine that you must be inundated with questions constantly. Yes. So I thought it would be nice today to, to talk to you a little bit about what are some of those common questions that you've been receiving as of late from your clients? Ooh, this is fun. Okay. Um, So here's one that I think all of us can identify with. What do we do with the travel advisory from the California Department of Public Health and SB 95, the new supplemental COVID sick leave? If I'm an employer and my employee decides to take a vacation and because they're unvaccinated, they've got a quarantine when they come back, do I have to let them use SB 95 sick leave? And unfortunately, we think the answer is yes. And, uh, you know, if you think about why the legislature is basically saying, look, if somebody did that, that was not a smart idea, but don't let them come back in the workplace and spread COVID. The whole point of providing all these benefits, and I think we need to really keep this in mind, is to help people stay out of the workplace, right? So we can prevent the spread. It's all about preventing the spread. So I've had that question. If I've had it 10 times I've added a hundred in the last month and it's becoming more and more as Europe is starting to open up and people are having the travel bug, right? So that's a big one. What do we do with this new sick leave law? How do you figure it out? What does the retroactivity mean? There's a lot going on there for sure. I have to agree with you. Those types of questions have been blowing up Cal Chambers labor law helpline and the travel guideline quarantine uh, provisions is, is a hot one. It's a, to- it's a hot topic and it's not limited to just traveling to Europe. Um, and I think that's, that's the one challenge for employers when they have their employees, you know, leaving, leaving their homes, home site, so to speak. Um, what about for the remote workers? Are you having any questions surrounding remote work, you know, reimbursement for internet, that sort of thing? Yes, particularly because of the Ninth Circuit decision, which some lawyers have interpreted as, you know, kind of the death knell of a flat sort of reimbursement for internet. Um, in that case, of course, we have these traveling nurses yes. who were paid what the company called a per diem but it was really to reimburse for travel and that sort of thing. Well, the employees argued it was just a wage. And of course, why did that matter? Because it should have been included in the calculation of their regular rate of pay for overtime. And so that a lot of commentators wrote on that case saying, oh, you can no longer have a flat fee for reimbursement. I disagree with that. I think that case is very fact specific. And it was very telling, of course, that they paid the per diem to people who didn't travel. Right. So clearly it was meant to be part of their compensation. I think employers um, have been worried about that. They are particularly worried because neither the labor commissioner nor the Department of Labor have given us any 
um, guideline in terms of what is a reasonable reimbursement. So we get a ton of questions. I basically said, look, I think flat is fine as long as you have a provision that says if you think we're not fully reimbursing you, then you need to let us know. We're going to assume we're fully reimbursing you unless we hear from you otherwise. So we're getting a ton of those questions. The other thing, of course, about teleworkers is we've all been trying to figure out, you know, just remember where we were nine months ago. Where am I going to get toilet paper? Mm -hmm. Right? (laughs) How am I going to get groceries? So, of course, we let people get away with murder, basically, teleworking, not not billing their full day, but still charging for it, Um, you know, not being as efficient, running all kinds of errands during the middle of the day. Now I'm getting calls from clients saying, oh, my gosh, it's like the wild, wild west with our remote workers and we need to rein them back in. How are we going to do that? We don't want to lose them. We don't want to upset them. We know they've been going through a lot, but we're not getting the productivity that we need to be getting. So I'm getting a ton about what do we do to try to hold people accountable? And of course, the answer is you got to have more interaction. Believe it or not, and this is the irony, it's harder to manage someone remotely than it is to manage them if they're right next door to you. And a lot of supervisors and managers, I think, by by necessity, you know, in many ways, went on autopilot during the beginning stages of COVID. And now they're really they're realizing they've got to rein everybody back in. So we're getting a lot of questions about that. Mm-hmm. I think it's an interesting topic. And what's challenging about it too is you hear the press reporting on what some of these big tech companies are doing, which their whole workplace culture is so unique to themselves. But even some of them are are changing course where they used to be 100% remote. And now we're seeing them say, well, wait a second, I think we're going to start bringing people back by the end of the year. So it's been very interesting to see that. that shift in thinking. And I think you're right. Um, realizing that now we're, we're starting to settle down. We're not in this panic because our personal lives have been turned upside down. What's really happening? Are we really as efficient and as productive as we can be? Um, what about with meal and rest breaks? I know that that continues to be a very popular topic. I know that when we do our labor law seminars, it is one that we always have a number of questions about. You know, there was a case that talked about rounding of meal breaks. And of course, that opened up the floodgates of calls too. What are your clients talking to you about with regards to meal and rest breaks? Well, it's funny. I still, all these years after the Brinker decision, when we have talked about this until we are blue in the face, you must provide the meal period. You need to make sure it's taken. I know the court said you don't have to insure it, but how are you going to defend against a private attorney general's act claim if you don't? And I still, at least once a week, get an email from a client who says, but so-and-so doesn't want to take her meal period by the end of the fifth hour, or so-and-so wants to waive both her first meal period and her second meal period, or so-and-so would prefer not to take a rest break because he doesn't want to stop working. I totally get it because it's illogical. The reason we keep getting these questions is because we're thinking, good grief, if they're adults, I mean, fine, have these rules for the minors who work in the workplace. (laughs) But if they're adults and they want to miss a meal break or miss a rest period, why do we care? Like, what is the big deal if these non-exempt folks do that? So I still get questions. And that rounding one was so interesting to me because I don't know how many thousands of times I've said, It is a 30-minute meal period, not, 
you know, non-interrupted, unpaid, duty-free. They got to be able to leave the premises. And what that means is you could never round the meal period. Mm -hmm. This is why time clocks are so important. That's the other thing I'm getting a lot, Erica. Who's your favorite time clock manufacturer? What payroll company do you like? Because these poor employers are getting hit on the head week after week, month after month about their timekeeping practices, many of which are regimented by some company back east or in the Midwest that doesn't have to live with California's rules, won't indemnify their clients when their software doesn't work. It's a big problem. So we're now getting folks, literally, I could probably say conservatively, in the last month, 20 of our clients have decided to abandon electronic timekeeping. They're going back to handwritten timesheets. You know, um, I'm glad you mentioned that because as technology advances and we have all of these new ways to manage our time, they're not always bulletproof. And many of these are national companies that do fantastic at helping us in in a number of ways, but we can't sit back and relax and think, okay, it's all being done for us. And I think it's important to recognize too, Jen, and I know you've probably gotten calls from your clients. You mentioned the California supplemental sick leave. There's all new recording and reporting requirements with the sick leave. And because some of these companies are nationwide, many of them haven't been able to adjust their timekeeping systems to account for the new supplemental sick leave and to include the accrual on that pay step. So really good kind of, you know, PSA for our listeners out there. Take a look at what your payroll company or what you're doing internally to make sure you're complying with the new pay step requirement from the supplemental sick leave. Well, and one of the things, of course, that's so tough about the supplemental sick leave, Erica, is we've got a statute and we've got some FAQs. That is all we have. Right. So we don't have, there's so many unanswered questions that we, we're not going to get answers to anytime soon. So if there ever was a time for an employer to be strategic, it is now, right? To, to really think about whether it's rest breaks and meal care periods or itemized wage statements or, you know, um, electronic tracking software. A lot of our clients are asking, can I track what people are doing at home? Yes, you can. There's no right to privacy as long as you diminish that expectation of privacy by having a policy of communication where you tell your employees you're watching. And, you know, I get it because folks are trying to figure out, gosh, what is going on with my productivity? What is happening? Or they're getting sexual harassment claims because the person who's in bed taking that conference call is not even thinking about I'm at work. What am I saying? What am I doing that is inappropriate under our policies, but I'm just not thinking about it because I'm home in my jam jams. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I, we've all heard the stories in the news reports and yet it, we've just, we forget we're not in that work environment. And I can see how that's so possible to happen. One more thing I want to pick up upon. You mentioned minors when we were talking It's spring, it's April, and I actually know with the um, distance learning schedule for a number of minors, many have actually been able to get jobs during the downtime. What are some things that your clients are contacting you about with regard to employing minors? So 
questions about work permits. How do I get a work permit when, when I have a remote employee? Luckily, the school districts do have processes in place for that, but that's a really legitimate question. The other question I get a lot that is so important, is there anything the minors are not allowed to do? And as some of your listeners may know, for example, if you work in a Target and there's a baler, a bailing machine in the back to squish down boxes and those things, minors are not allowed to be near those machines. Um, there are a number of requirements, even at a Starbucks, for example, or a grocery store deli where there's slicers or cutters or hot items. So a lot of these employers are, are getting actually fined from Calosha um, and the labor standards enforcement folks because they're coming in, they're noticing that a minor is working with the baler or a minor is operating a toaster oven that they shouldn't be doing. So we get a lot of questions and I'm glad about, is there anything these folks cannot be doing? The other thing that, um, I'm not sure, it, it, it kind of bums me out to be honest. A lot of folks have been asking me lately, well, if I hire a kid, can I pay them less? Mm. And I sort of just feel like, I mean, there is this concept of a training wage um, for certain industries under Department of Labor, Fair Labor Standards Act, uh, but not California law. And I feel like this is not the time to take advantage of any segment of our population. If you have a kid who is ready, willing, and able to work, they get their work permit, they're going to follow the rules, they're going to be responsible. There's no reason to justify paying them less than you would pay someone else. All these stereotypes about they're young, so they're going to be irresponsible, they're, quote, old, so they're going to be wise. It's person by person, and we all know that. Yeah. So there, there have been some shortcuts that I've, I've had to straighten some folks out on in terms of, yeah, no, that's really not a great idea. I mean, we have Equal Pay Act issues in this state, and although being younger is not a protected characteristic, you don't want to even raise that issue. So that was sort of an interesting one for me that we've had a lot of recently about the minor workplaces. And then the last one, of course, is the helicopter parents. Do I have to let the parent come to the discipline meeting? Does the parent get to see and participate in the minor's performance evaluation? So much going on with these helicopter moms and dads who want to be in on every aspect of Junior's uh, first job. Well, you know what? That just gets the wheels on my head turning that we need to have a whole podcast on minors in the workplace because there's a lot to talk about. There is a lot. So we'll, we'll have to follow up because I think that that could be extremely helpful, especially as we're entering the summer months where we traditionally see more minors coming into the workplace. And as you and I both know, over the last couple of years, there's been new mandates and new requirements on employers that also extend to the minors in the workplace. So we'll have to do something on that in the near future. So until then, thank you so much for being part of the podcast today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Erica. It's been really fun for me as well. All right. And thank you for joining us on The Workplace. Please comment, share, and subscribe to Cal Chambers Podcast by visiting calchamber.com.